0: Hello, and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9 a.m. or for our more traditional service at 11 a.m. We also stream full services live on our Facebook page. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Crozet United Methodist Church and our traditional worship service. We're grateful to have you join us. I'm Sarah, the pastor here. And as we begin this morning, we're going to invite you to stand as you are able. Let us join together in the call to worship, which you will find on the screens. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. The risen Christ is with us. We're going to invite you to remain standing as you are able. Let us sing together a hymn from the United Methodist Hymnal. It is number 365, and it has been sung by Christians for over 100 years. Grace greater than our sin. Please remain standing as you are able. Let us join together in the gathering liturgy, which you will find on the screens. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing Sing praises praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is King of all the earth. Sing praises with all your skill. God reigns over the nations. God sits upon his holy throne. The nobles of the peoples have gathered together with the people of the God of Abraham the rulers of the earth belong to God and he is highly exalted we shout to God with a cry of joy let us shout with our whole lives let us join together in our unison prayer Lord God We rejoice in your resurrection and in your promise to return. Help us live today as people who await the fulfillment of your kingdom. Bend our knees to the hard work of prayer, worship, repentance, and intercession. Amen. Let us sing together the glory of Patri. Please be seated. And uh, ladies, did you want to come up here for children's time? Come on up. Come on up. Actually, this is kind of a continuation of the conversation we had last week. Oh, you have a thing. Oh, okay. Is this, I was like, is this for us? So last week you asked me about truth. Do you remember? And actually, this week we're going to be talking about two things that are very important in the Bible grace and truth. So what is grace? Do you have any idea what grace is? Like being elegant or something? Well, graceful, yes, that, absolutely. Hmm? You're close. So one of the ways that we define grace because of God is unmerited favor. So like if your parents said to you, you know what, we're just going to go to Disney World for the entire month, not because you've been good or you haven't fought with your sibling, Great. but just because right? Just for its own sake, right? Or if somebody said, even though you haven't been working for me, I'm going to pay you a million dollars just because I love you, right? That would be unmerited favor. That would be something that you didn't earn, but then you were richly blessed. So that's grace. And then truth, according to the scriptures, is a little harder to pin down, right? Because you and I were talking about objective truth versus spiritual truth. So here's how truth can be defined according to the scripture that we have for today truth is in accordance with reality what is real not just necessarily what we think we see or hear or taste or feel but what is in accordance with reality it is accurate it is without variation therefore it is authentic and faithful and so truth is one of the ways that we describe jesus christ that he is truth and so today uh, if you go to children's worship in here we're going to be talking about grace and truth and then you can think about How you would define grace and truth, because we don't all have to agree on the exact same definition, but then you can think about it, and then you can have a wonderful debate with your parents later. Sound good? Awesome. All right. Well, if you would like to go to children's worship, I think we have a couple of incredible intrepid volunteers who would be happy to take you back. You can either wear that or you can take that off. That's entirely up to you. Okay. (laughs) All right. Um, and this morning we're going to invite you to sit back and relax and enjoy this incredible music from mozart and it's a french horn concerto number three the second movement courtesy of jack teeter
2: Thank you.
1: In the book of Psalms, we are told by the psalmist repeatedly to praise the Lord with the horn and the drums, and what a joy it is to see um, a more modern interpretation of that as a piano is a percussion instrument, it, the hammers hit the strings, and of course the horn, which sounds so much better than a shofar. Thank you very much. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. What a beautiful gift. And thank you for sharing your gifts of music, both of you. Thank you. All right. Before we hear our scripture this morning, I'm going to invite us to take a moment and join our hearts and minds and go to the Lord in prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord, we have gathered here on this holy day, at this holy time, the appointed hour in this sacred place, and we rejoice that you are here with us as well. For you promise that wherever two or more are gathered, there you shall be. And while we do not see you as we see each other, we are able to feel your presence. We are grateful that you are with us, that you are for us, that you forgive us and love us. And as we continue to explore the meaning behind grace and truth, we rejoice that your divine knowledge is given to those who seek you and who seek to be fulfillment of your prophecy, that the world would be blessed by those who have first been blessed by you and that others would experience your love because you have first loved us. May it be so in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit we pray amen our scripture reading this morning comes to us from the gospel account of john chapter 1 verses 14 through 18 and the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory the glory is of a father's only son full of grace and truth john testified to him and cried out this was he of whom i said He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. And today as we continue our worship series on the doctrinal standards of the United Methodist Church and specifically the articles of religion that are contained within our book not only of history and doctrine and law and polity, but an opportunity for us to see the pieces upon which we can hold fast throughout our lives, knowing that these things are unchangeable. As of course, as it says in section three of our restrictive rules, paragraph 17, article one, The general conference shall not revoke, alter, or change our articles of religion or establish any new standards or rules of doctrine contrary to our present existing and established standards of doctrine. And so today we're going to talk about my favorite thing next to the Bible, and that is grace. Of course, the Bible is an expression of God's grace. And so what do we as United Methodists believe unchangingly about God's grace? Well, under Article 9, entitled Of the Justification of Man, which, again, I will preface by saying that this was in the traditional English standard by which all plural forms were masculine today, we would say of the justification of humankind or humanity, it says this, We are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, by faith and not for our own works or deservings, Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only, it is a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. But then there are those who question about where do good works come into play, and there has been a long debate even before the Bible came to be codified and canonized where Christians were debating among themselves whether it was about faith or works. And so we have an article, Article 10 of Good Works, that says this, Although good works, which are the fruit of faith, And follow after justification, cannot put away our sins and endure the severity of God's judgment, yet are they pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ and spring out of a true and lively faith, insomuch that by them a lively faith may be as evidently known as a tree is discerned by its fruit. And so, in the United Methodist tradition, we believe that good works should flow forth from our faith. That of faith in jesus christ the salvific power of jesus christ that those things should give us the power and the authority as well as the encouragement the energy to do good things that if you believe that you have been forgiven and that you have been loved and that god's grace is yours that therefore you should be willing to go forth into the world and perform and give others acts of kindness and love compassion and mercy But those things, those acts cannot redeem you. You cannot purchase your salvation. You cannot prove that you are worthy of it. But instead, they come forth from the faith that God's grace is the only thing that is sufficient for our salvation. And so if you've ever had to worry if you were worthy of forgiveness, if you've ever had the concern, could God actually love me? The United Methodist Church's articles of religion tell you, yes, that grace is God's unmerited favor for you. And as Our young ladies and I just spoke a moment ago in children's time. What is true, what is truth, is in accordance with reality. Not just our human perceptions, but divine reality. It is accurate without variation. It is authentic and faithful. And those words perfectly describe our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we turn back to the scriptures this morning, the gospel account of John opens up with that beautiful prelude that talks about in the beginning there was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you continue through this incredible articulation of the divinity of Jesus Christ that predates his arrival on Christmas, the incarnation that happens when Emmanuel was no longer a prophecy but a reality, what John the Baptist is testifying to, even in our scripture this morning, is that he was telling people that even though Jesus of Nazareth earthly ministry would come after he had begun his own earthly ministry, that Jesus actually ranks ahead of him because he was before him. So even though John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus of Nazareth, the incarnation of God the Son, God the Son predates everything because God the Son always was. We just weren't aware of it until Christmas. And so here is where our scripture starts to get really interesting it says to us that from the fullness of jesus christ we have all received grace upon grace all of us not just the ones that perform as we think a disciple should perform or the ones who hold a certain rank or office within a denomination but all of us have received god's grace because it is not based upon our merit our worthiness or how close we are in relationship to god It is based solely upon God's love for us. Thank goodness. Because there are so many times in our lives where we become distracted or we become focused on ourselves. There are times where you might be in full love with God and you might be very involved in your faithfulness and your religiosity. And then you might pivot and go, well, I've done a lot of that. Now I have to tend to some other things. And even if you do that, God does not revoke God's grace for you. And maybe you are actually trying to do what Jesus said. Maybe you are trying to care for others, whether it is your spouse, your partner, your children, your parents, your family members, your neighbors, others for whom you feel compelled to give of your time and your energy, your resources, and your love. And it seems to distract you or draw you away from the Lord. God still loves you. It doesn't end. And when it comes to Methodism, there is no way to extract grace from Methodism, we are founded upon grace, we believe that grace is the epitome of the Wesleyan doctrine, and nothing, nothing, no one, no time, nowhere, ever, will take our grace away. They can't even pry it out of our cold, dead hands, because they won't be cold and dead forever. And so we are grateful to have that grace. Now, there are other denominations that have a more central focus. Maybe it is the sovereignty of God. Maybe it is God's omnipotence, God's power. There are all kinds of different ways of building your doctrine in a church. But for us, at the end of the day, at the very beginning, and at the foundation, it always comes back to grace. And grace is, again, God's willingness to love us when we were unlovable, when we wouldn't love ourselves, when other people told us that we could no longer be loved. It's when we feel the desire to withhold our affection and our favor from others that we truly can start to comprehend the willingness of God to override our own human sinfulness and give us love. I got to wrestle with this in my own household. Well, my household consists of four beings, myself, my son, and two dogs. Now, grace and truth are kind of part of life in my household, We spend a lot of time talking about truth and trying to practice grace. And with my dogs especially, it's easier for one than the other. So I have a beagle, and the beagle, if she does something wrong, is immediately very contrite. Oh, I'm so sorry.
2: I'm so sorry. I am the worst
1: dog that has ever been alive. And I don't know if you can ever forgive me, but please. And the other dog is a chihuahua. Who is like, are you over this yet? Because I'm over this. <laughs> First of all, I don't even think I did anything wrong. And I think you're overreacting. And if anybody did anything, I'm sure it was the beagle. <laughs> and then the beagle, even if the chihuahua does something wrong, is like, will you let her out of the cage now? She's been punished enough. <laughs> and the beagle's like, you, the, the chihuahua says, you need to get me out of the cage because I'm going to tear some things up when I'm out of here. How dare you cage me in? So we always have that struggle anyway in my house, right? There's always kind of this constant struggle of like, which one of you did it? Because the beagle's acting like she did it, even though she probably didn't. right? So where is grace and truth? And then you have the relationship with human beings. So my son, who is here with us today, who I talked to before (laughs) I started preaching this morning, uh, has been growing, he is 13, he is growing into those beautiful years that we call teenagehood, right? Where you're growing physically, you're expanding your mind and your emotions and, you know, exploring sin in new ways. <laughs> and so as he is, you know, coming into his own presence in his voice, he's also starting to articulate the things that he wants that might diverge from the things that I would want, right? So for a while now, he's been especially attuned to shoes. <laughs> Not mine, <laughs> right? You can see where he might come from, you know, naturally have this inclination. However. He's been interested in sneakers. Like a lot of young men, he's very interested in designer sneakers, specifically Air Jordans. And so for a while now, he's wanted them, and every now and then he would ask me if he could have a pair, and then I would look at how expensive they were, and I went, absolutely not! Because I don't begin to spend that much on my shoes, and my feet aren't growing. And But, that, you know, but there's a difference when you're a teenager between what you want and what you need, because what you need is what you want. And so you know, we went through this, and over time he's continually been like, I want this pair, I want this pair. So the other day he came up to me and he said, I would like your credit card, <laughs> which is not generally how you should begin a conversation <laughs> with your mother. And so I said, what do you want it for? And he said, I finally found a pair of sneakers that I want to buy. And then we asked the crucial, crucial question, how much? And he told me, and after I sputtered and coughed for a few minutes, I said, well, who's paying for that? And he said, I am. I've been saving my money, and I would like to pay for these shoes. He said, and I will cash app you the payment, and then you can just deposit and pay off the credit card. And I was like, this sounds too good to be true, but okay, right? And then here's the moment, right? So he's a teenager. He's been growing into things, exploring sin and all of that, right? And so there's a part of me that wanted to go, no, you can't have it because you need to realize that sometimes there are consequences for our actions right? Sometimes you feel that need, right? Accountability is very high. But then, perhaps more than any other time in my life, it occurred to me that this might be a real opportunity to explore grace. Because grace is God loving us even when we don't deserve it. God blessing us when we don't deserve blessings. And so we worked through that, and I gave him the credit card and told him that he better factor in shipping. And then he made his joyful purchase and he brought back my card and he transferred the money, thank you Cash App, and then we waited, right? The excruciating wait. Now, when I was growing up, I can remember the excitement of when the UPS truck would come by, right? You were all excited, like oh, I hope it's a gift for me. But now at the point in my life where I know my FedEx guy, my UPS guy, my mail carrier, and the Amazon people very well. So it's just like, howdy neighbor. And so it didn't really occur to me to be on the lookout for these shoes. But one night, Luke wanted to camp out at the front door and wait for the UPS guy. And I was like, we're not gonna do this because for fire code, this is egress and you are blocking an exit. And so we're not gonna do that. But by the way, the shoes are not gonna just come tomorrow. And he said, no, 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 it says right here because he's been checking the tracking. It's on its way. Oh, no, no, oh, naive one. On its way versus out for delivery are two very different things. Your mother has a lot of experience in this. Out for delivery is very different than on its way. And so, you know, we kind of calmed him down. And then the day came when it was out for delivery. And every few minutes, lingering, hanging around, asking, I was like, I check this app routinely today and I will let you know because it will actually tell me when it gets close and I will let you know. And then he did, blessedly, the good thing, he got a friend to come over, and they went downstairs and they started playing, and then he kind of forgot about it. And I saw the UPS truck pull up and met the UPS driver on the front porch. So he didn't know that the shoes were here. And then there's that moment that creeps up where you're like, I could hide the shoes. I could hide them. He doesn't know they're here. And then he would get the shoes later, but there would be accountability right now. But that's about me, that's not about grace. And so I brought them in and I called him and I said, your shoes are here. Cue thunderous running upstairs, snatching a box and running back downstairs. I could hear them tearing open the box. And then silence. And then he came up and showed me the shoes and they are special. I mean, I'm not one to throw shoe shade, but I would not have picked that color combination. They are red and white he's wearing them today you can see them later and they have a red plaid swoosh yeah i'm trying to like redeem it you know i'm trying to bring like liturgical colors I'm like well at least red is pentecost and the power of the holy spirit and white is like the sacraments and like high holy days and maybe that's working somewhere but really i can't do anything with plaid that's not a liturgical color um and so you know it was just enough to see him happy with the shoes right he's wearing the shoes he's very thrilled with them he's posing in them Not like that. But he was posing in his shoes. He was very excited about them. And so I was like, I hope it was worth it, right? Then he proceeds to tell me, well, even after I'm done or I've grown out of them, then there's a whole resale market. I was like, okay, I just donate mine to the green olive tree, but okay. So very excited, very happy and fulfilled about the shoes, right? And then it occurred to me as I was sitting in the peace that comes after the delivery that this is truly a moment out of the scriptures, Because even our scripture today referenced that the law came from Moses. That God gave not just restrictions, but requirements to God's people through Moses, one of the greatest prophets. I mean, he is the standard, the epitome in the Old Testament of how we should be when we are serving God. And he is a heavyweight champion of prophecy in the Old Testament. I mean, think about it. He got to see the burning bush. That never was consumed. God had a conversation, a little bit of an argument if you ask me, but a conversation with him about going to release God's people from 400 years of slavery and bondage in Egypt. I mean, he got to go toe-to-toe, not just with Pharaoh, but with all of his sorcerers and his magicians. Who can turn the Nile into blood? Who can produce gnats and flies? All of these incredible things and these miracles, these profound things that he was able to do, and he did not see God. He asked, but he didn't see God. And Moses had been through a lot of stuff. I mean, you would have thought that once you got the people out of bondage and slavery, they would just be so overflowed with gratitude that life would be easy. But no. Very quickly, as soon as they get out into the wilderness, the complaints start. I would equate this to, have you ever taken a car trip with children? Right? You get out of the neighborhood, and one of them's like, are we there yet? How much longer is this going to be? You're like, hours agonizing hours or in Moses case 40 years and immediately they start with this water tastes terrible it is too bitter and we cannot drink this and then they start talking about you know at least back in Egypt it wasn't so bad because we had meat we don't have any meat here you just give us this manna stuff meat okay yes 400 years of slavery and bondage were sufferable because we had meat And cucumbers. I can never figure out the cucumbers. But God's grace is this, that even while they had immediately pivoted and were no longer grace-filled, thankful people, God still gave them what they needed. God sent them the way to treat the water. It was too bitter at Meribah, and so you throw the stick in it, and suddenly it's drinkable, right? Now there's your fresh water. Or when they asked for meat, God said, fine. The entire ground will be covered with quail. And you will eat to your heart's content. In fact, you will eat until it comes out your nose. That's a quote. Eat till it comes out your nose. We never get any resolution to the cucumber thing. But the rest of it is taken care of. And so the grumbling and the complaining and the, for, the forgetting, the toxic nostalgia of, you know, it was actually kind of good back there. Um, all of that continues. And Moses has to deal with it day in and day out. And he's persecuted and he's villainized. And finally, he just says to God, There's only one thing I want. I want to see you. I've been doing all of this for you. And I just want to glimpse you with my own eyes. And God says, no, you can't. If you look at me, you will not survive. Your bodies cannot handle that. Perhaps that's why the Apostle Paul says we'll get these new spiritual physical bodies on the resurrection so that we can glimpse upon God, which we're going to need to because That's the only light in the kingdom to come, so we're going to need to be able to stand in the light. And so now Moses has a problem. He's asked, and he's been told no. But God, who loves him, even when he messes up, God says, I will do the next best thing. I want you to get into this little cleft in the rock over here. You're going to squeeze yourself in the cleft of the rock, and then I'm going to cover you, and then as I'm going by, you can glimpse the glory of my behind. I'm not making this up. This is actually in Scripture. And so Moses is like, well, that's something, even if I just see God's backside. So Moses gets in the little little crevice and waits. And sure enough, the Lord passes by and uncovers the eyes of Moses and he sees the glory going. And that's all he gets. That's it. After everything he's endured, after everything he's done, everything he's suffered, that, is what Moses gets, but not you, my siblings in Christ. Even according to the Gospel account of John now, it says, no one has ever seen God, which is true, not even Moses. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. So what you know of Jesus Christ is because God has privileged you even more than Moses. You have been granted not just knowledge, not just experience, not just a relationship with God Almighty, but you have been given a place in God's heart because of Jesus Christ, having done everything that we couldn't do for ourselves, everything that we didn't deserve. And I hope we're appreciative of it. I hope, like a 13-year-old young man with new sneakers, we marvel at just how wonderful that moment is. Because that's what it's really about, grace and truth. The truth about grace is that it's not going anywhere. It is our reality. It is unchanging. It is accurate. It is authentic and it is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to God. God's grace is ours. And no one can strip you of it. Nobody can tell you that you're not worth it. And if you sit here, I'm sure you could think of a few people historically that you would think the grace of God is not enough for those people you are wrong because God's grace is greater than the biggest sins that have ever been committed. God's grace is greater than the atrocities that humankind have experienced and perpetuated on one another throughout the ages. God's grace is greater than Adolf Hitler and Saddam Hussein and Joseph Stalin and Osama bin Laden. God's grace is greater than their evil workings. And if they choose salvation that's between them and god and nobody can take god's grace just as nobody can take god's grace from you because just like moses we are now liberators we have been liberated and we are now called to liberate others because it's there's a freedom to knowing that you're not chained to your past there's a freedom in knowing that god's love is sufficient for you are you willing To continue to do what has been done for you and liberate someone else that's the question christians throughout the years across denominational lines and over the ages have done incredible things we have built glorious houses of god we have built hospitals and orphanages schools institutions of higher learning we have done all kinds of wonderful things with our hands and our feet we have rebuilt after national natural disasters we have fed millions we have done incredible things. But even after all the orphans and the widows are cared for, even after all the hungry are fed, we will still have work to do, and that is to free others. Because just as we have been freed by God's grace, and that is God's truth, we are now charged with freeing others. And can you think of someone who has hurt you and wronged you? Can you think of someone, a relationship That has been torn asunder someone who has hurt you maybe in a way that is too deep and profound to be articulated in words but the pain was real and are you willing to break those bonds chaining you to that suffering and that pain chaining that person to the mistake and the sin that they have made are you willing to set someone free Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I need to pick a different person and start on an easier realm. Okay. But we are all working up to the greatest liberation that we can manage because we have been liberated from it all. And whatever we are holding in our hearts and in our minds and chaining with our spirits, God has already given us the grace to overcome. God has done it for us. Are we willing to do it for others? Perhaps that is the next great building of the kingdom that we have to do to set others free. And for some of us, that pain has been with us for so long, it's hard to imagine what it was like beforehand. For some of us, the scars will never leave these bodies. That doesn't change the fact that you were hurt, but it does mean that you can be part of the healing. Are you willing to be a part of that grace and that truth? Are you willing to be vessels of that same goodness that has come to you? Because we don't just have grace that is consistent or grace that is constant enough to be sufficient. We have grace abundant. We have grace greater than our sin, we say. Grace that overrides all of our sins. And if all of us could put together Some way of counting our sins. Maybe if you had a pebble for every sin, we could probably fill this room with the sins that we have created over our lives. Or maybe to use a more biblical one, because God seems very fond of this metaphor, think about grains of sand on the shore that will be more numerous than the descendants of Abraham. Think about those grains. And the grains, they can be a very long and very deep shoreline. The beach might seem like it is a sufficient barrier against the waters that cleanse. But if you've ever been to the shoreline, you know that those waves are capable of washing those grains of sand out to sea. So is God's grace. It can wipe away everything. Now, I grew up in northern Virginia, but I have family down in Hampton Roads, and I can remember over the course of my life the number of times that the waters and Virginia Beach had swept away the sand. And if you've lived here long enough and you've paid any attention to that, they have tried all kinds of things. They even got the Army Corps of Engineers to try to help fix the sand problem. But nothing has been able to keep the water from cleansing the beach. Nothing. And nothing can keep God's grace from cleansing you. But you and I, we cannot be living, walking, mobile dams against God's flowing grace. Are we willing to get out of the way? Or even more, are we willing to be irrigation channels, bringing God's grace out into the world, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our community, into places where people think God's grace has no business going? Are we willing to do that? Because God has set us free for this purpose. God didn't call Moses or John the Baptist into service that they might then walk away. They were given a ministry to change the world that is recorded in our scriptures, that is part of the foundation of our understanding of God's grace, redeeming people that others might experience God's redemption. And so grace and truth, they are the very fiber of our faith. There is nothing to be said about Jesus Christ if you strip away grace and truth. There is nothing about our personal belief in relationship with God Almighty to be said or to be meaningful if we deprive this world of the grace and the truth that we have first received. To this we have been called. To this we have been saved. And to this we are empowered. So it's a choice. You know what it is like to be loved so much that you are forgiven. You know what it is like to have God say to you, nothing will keep you from me if you so choose we have to give that to others to let god's grace and truth overflow our pain our anger our resentment the suffering that we have had the battle scars and wounds that we bear god's grace is the only balm that can fix us all the broken and the breakers that's what real reconciliation looks like So when we talk about grace in the United Methodist Church, we are talking about our very reason for existing. Because otherwise, we're just human beings. But because of our understanding of God's grace, you are vessels of the most powerful, transformative agent in all time and space. And that is grace. It is not fear, because people will resent fear after a while. It is not formality because people will find ways to subvert it. It is only grace that truly can change and transform for not just a lifetime, but eternity. And you have that gift. May you use it. May you set people free with it. And may you find that you too have been liberated and doing for others what has been first done for you, granting grace and speaking a truth about a powerful, profound love found only because of Jesus Christ. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Now's the time in our worship service where we worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings, and I want to tell you that... It is truly a blessing to have you with us. I know that the summers can be very busy. I know that people are going in all different directions and places, but to have you here and to have your gifts so that ministry and mission work in the name of Jesus Christ can continue not only in our church but in our community is truly a gift. Because even now, we are planning for a joyful launch in the fall when the children come back and go to school. We are planning for the things that will need to happen as more and more people continue to experience the fiscal realities of our world and the struggles of what it means to try to feed not only yourself but your loved ones, and your gifts make that possible. So let us worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings. Rise for the doxology. Let us pray. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts as you have poured yourself out for us. Your grace is greater than all our sin, and your work through the movement of the Holy Spirit upon these gifts and our stewardship of them is greater than what we could do as individuals. For together, not only are we the body of Christ, but we are a tidal wave of blessing for this world. May you continue to shore up our firm foundation our confidence in Jesus Christ, and our willingness to go forth and serve and bless as we have first been blessed. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Please be seated. I have a couple quick announcements to share with you. The first is that our middle school youth events are up and running, and we have one this week. Our middle school youth group will meet on Wednesday, July 12th from 5 to 7 p.m. over at Crozet Park for balloon Capture the Flag, featuring what we think is Central Virginia's most exciting portable Capture the Flag setup with inflatable obstacles and some exciting new surprises. So we hope that you will join us. If you can't make it this Wednesday, be sure to put August 2nd from 5 to 6.30 p.m. and tentatively August 16th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. on your calendars. Come on out for some amazing fun and games at Crows Day Park. If you're interested or you need more information, please reach out to us at Youth at crozetunitedmethodist.org or the church office. And then we are looking for a nursery manager. We seek a loving, reliable, and responsible candidate to ensure that nursery care is available for children from birth to two years of age, while parents attend Sunday Sunday worship services, Bible studies, or other special events. The manager oversees all aspects of the nursery care program, scheduling nursery workers and ensuring that they meet job requirements and comply with our established guidelines. The manager also works as a paid nursery worker. So if you would like more information or if you or someone you know might be interested, you can email Vicki at SPPRC at or you can contact the church office and we can connect you with Vicki. And then today in our e-news, we included a financial update because your giving is what makes all of the incredible work that our church does throughout the Crozet community and beyond possible. So we hope that you will ha- take a chance to look at that update and we'd like to encourage you to ask questions if you have any. And then lastly, today we continued our lemonade on the lawn. So if you haven't had a chance to experience that opportunity between worship services, we hope that you will make it uh, an opportunity next week to come a little bit early and experience not only connecting with some of the people who come to our 9 o'clock worship, but also getting to enjoy some delicious goodies that will sustain you throughout our 11 o'clock worship service. So we're grateful for all those who have hosted that. And so with much joy and and gratitude, let us stand as we are able, singing together our closing hymn, From the United Methodist hymnal number 378, Amazing Grace. you receive this benediction. As you prepare to leave this place, may you find the courage and the conviction through the love of Jesus Christ, the salvation and grace continually poured out upon you by the Holy Spirit to go forth in the name of God the Father and to set someone free. May you go forth in peace and love in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one now and forever. Amen. continue our worship series on the doctrinal standards of the United Methodist Church and specifically the articles of religion that are contained within our book, not only of history and doctrine and law and polity, but an opportunity for us to see the pieces upon which we can hold fast throughout our lives, knowing that these things are unchangeable. As of course, as it says in section three of our restrictive rules, paragraph 17, article one, The general conference shall not revoke, alter, or change our articles of religion or establish any new standards or rules of doctrine contrary to our present existing and established standards of doctrine. And so today we're going to talk about my favorite thing next to the Bible, and that is grace. Of course, the Bible is an expression of God's grace. And so what do we as United Methodists believe unchangingly about God's grace? Well, under Article 9, entitled Of the Justification of Man, which, again, I will preface by saying that this was in the traditional English standard by which all plural forms were masculine today, we would say of the justification of humankind or humanity, it says this, We are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, by faith and not for our own works or deservings, Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only, it is a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. But then there are those who question about where do good works come into play, and there has been a long debate even before the Bible came to be codified and canonized where Christians were debating among themselves whether it was about faith or works. And so we have an article, Article 10 of Good Works, that says this, Although good works, which are the fruit of faith, and follow after justification, cannot put away our sins and endure the severity of God's judgment. Yet are they pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ and spring out of a true and lively faith, insomuch that by them a lively faith may be as evidently known as a tree is discerned by its fruit. And so in the United Methodist tradition, we believe that good works should flow forth from our faith. That of faith in jesus christ the salvific power of jesus christ that those things should give us the power and the authority as well as the encouragement the energy to do good things that if you believe that you have been forgiven and that you have been loved and that god's grace is yours that therefore you should be willing to go forth into the world and perform and give others acts of kindness and love compassion and mercy But those things, those acts cannot redeem you. You cannot purchase your salvation. You cannot prove that you are worthy of it. But instead, they come forth from the faith that God's grace is the only thing that is sufficient for our salvation. And so if you've ever had to worry if you were worthy of forgiveness, if you've ever had the concern, could God actually love me? The United Methodist Church's articles of religion tell you, yes, that grace is God's unmerited favor for you. And as Our young ladies and I just spoke a moment ago in children's time. What is true, what is truth, is in accordance with reality. Not just our human perceptions, but divine reality. It is accurate without variation. It is authentic and faithful. And those words perfectly describe our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we turn back to the scriptures this morning, the gospel account of John opens up with that beautiful prelude that talks about, in the beginning there was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you continue through this incredible articulation of the divinity of Jesus Christ that predates his arrival on Christmas, the incarnation that happens when Emmanuel was no longer a prophecy but a reality, what John the Baptist is testifying to, even in our scripture this morning, is that he was telling people that even though Jesus of Nazareth earthly ministry would come after he had begun his own earthly ministry, that Jesus actually ranks ahead of him because he was before him. So even though John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus of Nazareth, the incarnation of God the Son, God the Son predates everything because God the Son always was. We just weren't aware of it until Christmas. And so here is where our scripture starts to get really interesting. It says to us that from the fullness of Jesus Christ, we have all received grace upon grace. All of us, not just the ones that perform as we think a disciple should perform or the ones who hold a certain rank or office within a denomination, but all of us have received God's grace because it is not based upon our merit, our worthiness, or how close we are in relationship to God. It is based solely upon God's love for us. Thank goodness. Because there are so many times in our lives where we become distracted or we become focused on ourselves. There are times where you might be in full love with God and you might be very involved in your faithfulness and your religiosity. And then you might pivot and go, well, I've done a lot of that. Now I have to tend to some other things. And even if you do that, God does not revoke God's grace for you. And maybe you are actually trying to do what Jesus said. Maybe you are trying to care for others, whether it is your spouse, your partner, your children, your parents, your family members, your neighbors, others for whom you feel compelled to give of your time and your energy, your resources, and your love. And it seems to distract you or draw you away from the Lord. God still loves you. It doesn't end. And when it comes to Methodism, there is no way to extract grace from Methodism, we are founded upon grace, we believe that grace is the epitome of the Wesleyan doctrine, and nothing, nothing, no one, no time, nowhere, ever, will take our grace away. They can't even pry it out of our cold, dead hands, because they won't be cold and dead forever. And so we are grateful to have that grace. Now, there are other denominations that have a more central focus. Maybe it is the sovereignty of God. Maybe it is God's omnipotence, God's power. There are all kinds of different ways of building your doctrine in a church. But for us, at the end of the day, at the very beginning, and at the foundation, it always comes back to grace. And grace is, again, God's willingness to love us when we were unlovable, when we wouldn't love ourselves, when other people told us that we could no longer be loved. It's when we feel the desire to withhold our affection and our favor from others that we truly can start to comprehend the willingness of God to override our own human sinfulness and give us love. I got to wrestle with this in my own household. Well, my household consists of four beings, myself, my son, and two dogs. Now, grace and truth are kind of part of life in my household, We spend a lot of time talking about truth and trying to practice grace. And with my dogs especially, it's easier for one than the other. So I have a beagle, and the beagle, if she does something wrong, is immediately very contrite. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I am the worst dog that has ever been alive. And I don't know if you can ever forgive me, but please. And the other dog is a chihuahua. Who is like, are you over this yet? Because I'm over this. <laughs> First of all, I don't even think I did anything wrong. And I think you're overreacting. And if anybody did anything, I'm sure it was the beagle. <laughs> and then the beagle, even if the chihuahua does something wrong, is like, will you let her out of the cage now? She's been punished enough. <laughs> and the beagle's like, you, the, the chihuahua says, you need to get me out of the cage because I'm going to tear some things up when I'm out of here. How dare you cage me in? So we always have that struggle anyway in my house, right? There's always kind of this constant struggle of like, which one of you did it? Because the beagle's acting like she did it, even though she probably didn't. right? So where is grace and truth? And then you have the relationship with human beings. So my son, who is here with us today, who I talked to before (laughs) I started preaching this morning, uh, has been growing, he is 13, he is growing into those beautiful years that we call teenagehood, right where you're growing physically you're expanding your mind and your emotions and you know exploring sin in new ways (laughs) and so as he is you know coming into his own presence in his voice he's also starting to articulate the things that he wants that might diverge from the things that i would want right so for a while now he's been especially attuned to shoes (laughs) not mine (laughs) right you can see where he might come from you know naturally have this inclination however He's been interested in sneakers. Like a lot of young men, he's very interested in designer sneakers, specifically Air Jordans. And so for a while now, he's wanted them. And every now and then, he would ask me if he could have a pair, and then I would look at how expensive they were, and I went, absolutely not! Because I don't begin to spend that much on my shoes, and my feet aren't growing. And But, that, you know, but there's a difference when you're a teenager between what you want and what you need, because what you need is what you want. And so, you know, we went through this and over time he's continually been like, I want this pair, I want this pair. So the other day he came up to me and he said, I would like your credit card, (laughs) which is not generally how you should begin a conversation (laughs) with your mother. And so I said, what do you want it for? And he said, I finally found a pair of sneakers that I want to buy. And then we asked the crucial, crucial question, how much? And he told me, and after I sputtered and coughed for a few minutes, I said, well, who's paying for that? And he said, I am. I've been saving my money, and I would like to pay for these shoes. He said, and I will cash app you the payment, and then you can just deposit and pay off the credit card. And I was like, this sounds too good to be true, but okay, right? And then here's the moment, right? So he's a teenager. He's been growing into things, exploring sin and all of that, right? And so there's a part of me that wanted to go, no, you can't have it because you need to realize that sometimes there are consequences for our actions right? Sometimes you feel that need, right? Accountability is very high. But then, perhaps more than any other time in my life, it occurred to me that this might be a real opportunity to explore grace. Because grace is God loving us even when we don't deserve it. God blessing us when we don't deserve blessings. And so we worked through that, and I gave him the credit card and told him that he better factor in shipping. And then he made his joyful purchase and he brought back my card and he transferred the money, thank you Cash App, and then we waited, right? The excruciating wait. Now, when I was growing up, I can remember the excitement of when the UPS truck would come by, right? You were all excited, like oh, I hope it's a gift for me. But now at the point in my life where I know my FedEx guy, my UPS guy, my mail carrier, and the Amazon people very well. So it's just like, howdy neighbor. And so it didn't really occur to me to be on the lookout for these shoes. But one night, Luke wanted to camp out at the front door and wait for the UPS guy. And I was like, we're not going to do this because for fire code, this is egress, and you are blocking an exit. And so we're not going to do that. But by the way, the shoes are not going to just come tomorrow. And he said, no, 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 it says right here, because he's been checking the tracking, it's on its way. Oh, no, no, oh, naive one. On its way versus out for delivery are two very different things your mother has a lot of experience in this out for delivery is very different than on its way and so you know we kind of calmed him down and then the day came when it was out for delivery and every few minutes lingering hanging around asking I was like I check this app routinely today and I will let you know because it will actually tell me when it gets close and I will let you know And then he did, blessedly, the good thing, he got a friend to come over, and they went downstairs and they started playing, and then he kind of forgot about it. And I saw the UPS truck pull up and met the UPS driver on the front porch. So he didn't know that the shoes were here. And then there's that moment that creeps up where you're like, I could hide the shoes. I could hide them. He doesn't know they're here. And then he would get the shoes later, but there would be accountability right now. But that's about me, that's not about grace. And so I brought them in and I called him and I said, your shoes are here. Cue thunderous running upstairs, snatching a box and running back downstairs. I could hear them tearing open the box. And then silence. And then he came up and showed me the shoes and they are special. I mean, I'm not one to throw shoe shade, but I would not have picked that color combination. They are red and white. He's wearing them today. You can see them later. And they have a red plaid swoosh. Yeah. I'm trying to like redeem it. You know, I'm trying to bring like liturgical colors. I'm like, well, at least red is Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit. And white is like the sacraments and like high holy days. And maybe that's working somewhere. But really, I can't do anything with plaid. That's not a liturgical color. Um, And so, you know, it was just enough to see him happy with the shoes, right? He's wearing the shoes. He's very thrilled with them. He's posing in them. Not like that. But he was posing in his shoes. He was very excited about them. And so I was like, I hope it was worth it, right? Then he proceeds to tell me, well, even after I'm done or I've grown out of them, then there's a whole resale market. I was like, okay, I just donate mine to the green olive tree, but okay. So very excited, very happy and fulfilled about the shoes, right? And then it occurred to me as I was sitting in the peace that comes after the delivery that this is truly a moment out of the scriptures, Because even our scripture today referenced that the law came from Moses. That God gave not just restrictions, but requirements to God's people through Moses, one of the greatest prophets. I mean, he is the standard, the epitome in the Old Testament of how we should be when we are serving God. And he is a heavyweight champion of prophecy in the Old Testament. I mean, think about it. He got to see the burning bush that never was consumed. God had a conversation, a little bit of an argument if you ask me, but a conversation with him about going to release God's people from 400 years of slavery and bondage in Egypt. I mean, he got to go toe-to-toe, not just with Pharaoh, but with all of his sorcerers and his magicians. Who can turn the Nile into blood? Who can produce gnats and flies? All of these incredible things and these miracles, these profound things that he was able to do, and he did not see God. He asked, but he didn't see God. And Moses had been through a lot of stuff. I mean, you would have thought that once you got the people out of bondage and slavery, they would just be so overflowed with gratitude that life would be easy. But no. Very quickly, as soon as they get out into the wilderness, the complaints start. I would equate this to, have you ever taken a car trip with children? Right? You get out of the neighborhood, and one of them's like, are we there yet? How much longer is this going to be? You're like, hours agonizing hours or in Moses case 40 years and immediately they start with this water tastes terrible it is too bitter and we cannot drink this and then they start talking about you know at least back in Egypt it wasn't so bad because we had meat we don't have any meat here you just give us this manna stuff meat okay yes 400 years of slavery and bondage were sufferable because we had meat And cucumbers. I can never figure out the cucumbers. But God's grace is this, that even while they had immediately pivoted and were no longer grace-filled, thankful people, God still gave them what they needed. God sent them the way to treat the water. It was too bitter at Meribah, and so you throw the stick in it, and suddenly it's drinkable, right? Now there's your fresh water. Or when they asked for meat, God said, fine. The entire ground will be covered with quail. And you will eat to your heart's content. In fact, you will eat until it comes out your nose. That's a quote. Eat till it comes out your nose. We never get any resolution to the cucumber thing. But the rest of it is taken care of. And so the grumbling and the complaining and the, for, the forgetting, the toxic nostalgia of, you know, it was actually kind of good back there. Um, all of that continues. And Moses has to deal with it day in and day out. And he's persecuted and he's villainized. And finally, he just says to God, There's only one thing i want i want to see you i've been doing all of this for you and i just want to glimpse you with my own eyes and god says no you can't if you look at me you will not survive your bodies cannot handle that perhaps that's why the apostle paul says we'll get these new spiritual physical bodies on the resurrection so that we can glimpse upon god which we're going to need to because That's the only light in the kingdom to come, so we're going to need to be able to stand in the light. And so now Moses has a problem. He's asked, and he's been told no. But God, who loves him, even when he messes up, God says, I will do the next best thing. I want you to get into this little cleft in the rock over here. You're going to squeeze yourself in the cleft of the rock, and then I'm going to cover you, and then as I'm going by, you can glimpse the glory of my behind. I'm not making this up. This is actually in Scripture. And so Moses is like, well, that's something, even if I just see God's backside. So Moses gets in the little little crevice and waits. And sure enough, the Lord passes by and uncovers the eyes of Moses and he sees the glory going. And that's all he gets. That's it. After everything he's endured, after everything he's done, everything he's suffered, that, is what Moses gets, but not you, my siblings in Christ. Even according to the Gospel account of John now, it says, no one has ever seen God, which is true, not even Moses. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. So what you know of Jesus Christ is because God has privileged you even more than Moses. You have been granted not just knowledge, not just experience, not just a relationship with God Almighty, but you have been given a place in God's heart because of Jesus Christ, having done everything that we couldn't do for ourselves, everything that we didn't deserve. And I hope we're appreciative of it. I hope, like a 13-year-old young man with new sneakers, we marvel at just how wonderful that moment is. Because that's what it's really about, grace and truth. The truth about grace is that it's not going anywhere. It is our reality. It is unchanging. It is accurate. It is authentic and it is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to God. God's grace is ours. And no one can strip you of it. Nobody can tell you that you're not worth it. And if you sit here, I'm sure you could think of a few people historically that you would think the grace of God is not enough for those people you are wrong because God's grace is greater than the biggest sins that have ever been committed. God's grace is greater than the atrocities that humankind have experienced and perpetuated on one another throughout the ages. God's grace is greater than Adolf Hitler and Saddam Hussein and Joseph Stalin and Osama bin Laden. God's grace is greater than their evil workings. And if they choose salvation that's between them and god and nobody can take god's grace just as nobody can take god's grace from you because just like moses we are now liberators we have been liberated and we are now called to liberate others because it's there's a freedom to knowing that you're not chained to your past there's a freedom in knowing that god's love is sufficient for you are you willing To continue to do what has been done for you and liberate someone else that's the question christians throughout the years across denominational lines and over the ages have done incredible things we have built glorious houses of god we have built hospitals and orphanages schools institutions of higher learning we have done all kinds of wonderful things with our hands and our feet we have rebuilt after national natural disasters we have fed millions We have done incredible things. But even after all the orphans and the widows are cared for, even after all the hungry are fed, we will still have work to do, and that is to free others. Because just as we have been freed by God's grace, and that is God's truth, we are now charged with freeing others. And can you think of someone who has hurt you and wronged you? Can you think of someone, a relationship that has been torn asunder someone who has hurt you maybe in a way that is too deep and profound to be articulated in words but the pain was real and are you willing to break those bonds chaining you to that suffering and that pain chaining that person to the mistake and the sin that they have made are you willing to set someone free Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I need to pick a different person and start on an easier realm. Okay. But we are all working up to the greatest liberation that we can manage because we have been liberated from it all. And whatever we are holding in our hearts and in our minds and chaining with our spirits, God has already given us the grace to overcome. God has done it for us. Are we willing to do it for others? Perhaps that is the next great building of the kingdom that we have to do to set others free. And for some of us, that pain has been with us for so long, it's hard to imagine what it was like beforehand. For some of us, the scars will never leave these bodies. That doesn't change the fact that you were hurt, but it does mean that you can be part of the healing. Are you willing to be a part of that grace and that truth? Are you willing to be vessels of that same goodness that has come to you? Because we don't just have grace that is consistent or grace that is constant enough to be sufficient. We have grace abundant. We have grace greater than our sin, we say. Grace that overrides all of our sins. And if all of us could put together Some way of counting our sins. Maybe if you had a pebble for every sin, we could probably fill this room with the sins that we have created over our lives. Or maybe to use a more biblical one, because God seems very fond of this metaphor, think about grains of sand on the shore that will be more numerous than the descendants of Abraham. Think about those grains. And the grains, they can be a very long and very deep shoreline. The beach might seem like it is a sufficient barrier against the waters that cleanse. But if you've ever been to the shoreline, you know that those waves are capable of washing those grains of sand out to sea. So is God's grace. It can wipe away everything. Now, I grew up in northern Virginia, but I have family down in Hampton Roads, and I can remember over the course of my life the number of times that the waters and Virginia Beach had swept away the sand. And if you've lived here long enough and you've paid any attention to that, they have tried all kinds of things. They even got the Army Corps of Engineers to try to help fix the sand problem. But nothing has been able to keep the water from cleansing the beach. Nothing. And nothing can keep God's grace from cleansing you. But you and I, we cannot be living, walking, mobile dams against God's flowing grace. Are we willing to get out of the way? Or even more, are we willing to be irrigation channels, bringing God's grace out into the world, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our community, into places where people think God's grace has no business going? Are we willing to do that? Because God has set us free for this purpose. God didn't call Moses or John the Baptist into service that they might then walk away. They were given a ministry to change the world that is recorded in our scriptures, that is part of the foundation of our understanding of God's grace, redeeming people that others might experience God's redemption. And so grace and truth, they are the very fiber of our faith. There is nothing to be said about Jesus Christ if you strip away grace and truth. There is nothing about our personal belief in relationship with God Almighty to be said or to be meaningful if we deprive this world of the grace and the truth that we have first received. To this we have been called. To this we have been saved. And to this we are empowered. So it's a choice. You know what it is like to be loved so much that you are forgiven. You know what it is like to have God say to you, nothing will keep you from me if you so choose we have to give that to others to let god's grace and truth overflow our pain our anger our resentment the suffering that we have had the battle scars and wounds that we bear god's grace is the only balm that can fix us all the broken and the breakers that's what real reconciliation looks like So when we talk about grace in the United Methodist Church, we are talking about our very reason for existing. Because otherwise, we're just human beings. But because of our understanding of God's grace, you are vessels of the most powerful, transformative agent in all time and space. And that is grace. It is not fear, because people will resent fear after a while. It is not formality because people will find ways to subvert it. It is only grace that truly can change and transform for not just a lifetime, but eternity. And you have that gift. May you use it. May you set people free with it. And may you find that you too have been liberated and doing for others what has been first done for you, granting grace and speaking a truth about a powerful, profound love found only because of Jesus Christ. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.